Great to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here, and we are currently studying our way through every single verse in the book of Matthew. Um, and we are continuing in that series this morning, so we'll get right into it. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9, verse 1. And we'll get started. As always, we have a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. And it seems there are just not enough Sundays in the week to talk about all that we want to talk about. Um, But we'll do the best with what we have. If you were with us last week, you know that we talked about physical healing from the ministry of Jesus um, based on Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. And we talked about the role of faith in healing. Today we uh, come to another healing passage from Matthew 9, but it's going to take us in a different direction entirely as we contemplate just what it is that Jesus wants to heal. We pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, Why why do you, oh, sorry, said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Let's pray. Jesus, As we approach these historical accounts of your life and the things that you did and the things that you said, we actually have the same reaction that the crowd had. We are in awe of the authority that you operated in, that you were God and man at the same time. And as we come into this place, as we sit under your word, as we contemplate what it meant then and what it means now, I pray that we would come with that same sense of awe for who you are and the authority that you operate in. So would you open our hearts and minds to that today, God? Some of us are coming in with hearts that feel clamped shut, unable or unwilling to receive from you, and yet with with a touch of your spirit, we're actually willing to open up and receive more. So would, would you come and work amongst your people today? Would we walk out of here having received what it is you want to teach us through this this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. As you read through the healing accounts of Jesus, some 40% of the narrative text of the gospel, you'll notice that he is far from mechanical in the way that he goes about it. And his methods often kind of leave us shrugging our shoulders. And, And this account that we read today is no exception. Jesus has been healing the masses. Word spreads, and so some men bring Jesus uh, their friends on a paralyzed, uh, paralyzed friends on a mat. Clearly, they want Jesus to heal his physical paralysis. And when Jesus saw their faith of the friends, we talked about that last week, he turned to the paralyzed man in order to fix the problem. And he says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven which through our cultural lens makes almost no sense at all. Jesus, this man has a physical problem. Why are you talking about his sin? Jesus, I can't walk. That's okay, Jesus says. Remember how many times you've committed adultery in your heart? Yeah, you're forgiven. Wait, what? I'm I'm physically paralyzed. I can't walk. I'm asking for you to heal me. Seen through the modern Western cultural lens, these things appear completely disconnected. 
But here's what I want us to see. As Jesus sets out to heal people, we see him effectuating holistic healing in every aspect of their being. And as you read through the Gospels, you actually see Jesus healing, but not in the way that we always think he's going to heal. Here are some of the things that we see Jesus healing. First, healing of the spirit or the soul, the spiritual sickness that is a result of sin. Second, the healing of past hurts. We often refer to this as inner healing or healing from hurtful memories or or damaged emotions or crippling junk from our past. Third, healing of the demonized and mental illness. Uh, Fourth, healing of the body or, or physical healing. And fifth is the healing of the dead or the dying. And there's probably more, but these are the big ones. And, and when we think of healing in our Western culture, we almost always think about healing of the body or physical healing. And not only is that our go-to, but we view it as completely distinct and separated from many of the other forms of healing on this list. But by responding to a physical problem with a word of forgiveness... Jesus not only turns our attention to another type of healing that he wants to address, the healing of the Spirit, but I'm going to argue that he simultaneously is highlighting the connection between the two. And before you write that idea off as ridiculous, I I want us to take a moment and explain why that might be the case. In the beginning... Pages 1 and 2 of your Bibles, Adam and Eve, humanity is made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And it says that that God breathes the breath of life into them. As a result, we are created as unique and distinct from other physical creatures. You You are a unique combination of physical and spiritual elements. You have a body and you have a soul or a spirit. And the human spirit is the capacity in our inner being through which we relate to God and the spiritual world. You were given that by God. And and, and there's a sense in which your soul or your spirit is the center of your being. And, And that's not to say that your physicality is unimportant or even less holy. I I think those ideas are more rooted in Greek philosophy than than they are in the scriptures. That's not what I'm saying. It's only to say that your, your soul or your spirit is central to who you are. And that every aspect of who you are is deeply connected with all of the others. Humans are created as physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual beings, interwoven, interconnected, fully integrated in in their personhood, such that every part of you affects all of the others. And here's why this matters. By the time you reach page three in your Bibles, Adam and Eve choose to disobey God in this sort of layered, complex, multidimensional tragedy that theologically we call the fall. And, and, and in that moment, a, a deep connection between God and humanity was severely damaged. Sin entered the world and death along with it, and we cannot underestimate the effect that this has had on the human heart and the human experience. The scriptures open with, with a spiritually healthy Adam and Eve, and immediately Upon disobeying God, we we see the catastrophic effects of the fall on human existence. And in the very beginning, they show up as social and relational disruption. That's the first symptom. You have this sin and blame shifting and accusation and hiding in shame and guilt. We, We are cut off from God spiritually and this massively disrupts who we are and who we were meant to be. God said that if we ate the fruit of that tree, we would die. 
And we didn't die physically, at least not right away. But what sets in in that moment is a sort of spiritual death. And that's not to say that your soul died or anything like that. That's not what I'm getting at. But what happened is that our capacity to, to freely and fully know God was altered and cut off. We could no longer have free and open fellowship with God. The very core of who we are was altered and damaged by sin. We became incapable of either fully desiring a free and open relationship with God or freely knowing God. We became spiritually sick. And then what happens is that you get all of this other junk that flows out of our sickness of spirit. And so this spiritual death of sorts actually gives birth to, to fear and sin and shame and death. And there's all of these ramifications in the, in the following pages that come spilling out. Psychological, social, mental, physical, emotional, environmental effects that all flow from that starting point. When we became spiritually disconnected from God, everything else was set on edge. The sickness that started in our souls and wrecked our hearts then flowed out into the rest of creation, including every aspect of who you are. And our continued presence in the garden became impossible. So God ejects us from the garden and then in this curious passage he puts flaming swords blocking the, the, the re-entry. Saying you, you, you can't come back. And, I, and I've always found that really confused. What, what is that about? Like, what, Why are you barring them from the garden? Why can't they go back in? And I think the answer is that it was already too late. It, it, the damage had already been done. Our hearts had already been corrupted. And now the solution would not be to go back, but to go forward. You, you see, most of us spend most of our lives trying to get back to the garden. It, it, it's in your heart. It's in your blood. You know that's where you're supposed to be. And so most of us, especially in America, try to pursue lives where we have the perfect job and the perfect house and the perfect spouse and the perfect lawn and the perfect bank account or whatever it is. We're starving for this place where there's no sin and there's no sickness and there's no pain and there's no inconvenience and there's no death. And we long for that. We spend our lives striving to recreate that reality. But that's not the redemption that, that God wishes to bring. He will bring that one day, that reality that you're thirsting for. But not here and not now. In, in the here and now, we're saying, God, can we please go back to the garden? And, and he's saying, no. I want you to become the garden. Redemption is coming, but it's going to start at the very core of who you are. That place where it all started in, in the spiritual sickness of humanity and spilled outward, that's where it's going to start. Inside your heart. And so what we tend to do is try to fix our surroundings and look to our surroundings and pray to God about an improvement of our surroundings. But because our hearts are corrupt, God could throw out the swords and, and welcome us back into spiritual Disneyland and it wouldn't help. We, we just trash the place. God could build us the perfect Hawaiian island and, and we'd turn it into Lord of the Flies. Okay? Why? He's saying, I, I could let you back into the garden and you would have amazing circumstances around you and it would not spark your redemption. That is not how you're going to get saved. 
It's not by fixing your circumstances. It's going to be by fixing something in your spirit, in your soul, in the deepest part of who you are. Oh, that's curious. I wonder what it is that Jesus came to do. I wonder if that whole mission that he has something to do with, huh, what was that deal with the cross and the, God says, I I want you to become the garden. That's the way forward. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's wrong in the world, out there and in here. But what God has seen fit to start is in the spiritual sickness that has so plagued humanity. And he says, "If, if I can fix that and heal that, then you're going to see all sorts of healing that flows out of that into other dimensions and aspects of who you are, into the very world around you, into your city, into your... It's going to flow out of what I regenerate at the very core of who you are. We're starving for the pain-free life, but but that's not the real problem. Our, Our circumstances are not the source of the problem. And, and, and therefore, our circumstances will not be the source of the solution. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, says it this way. He says, All the varied and complicated problems of the, the, of the human race faces today, as they have been throughout the running centuries, all emanate from just one thing, that man is in wrong relationship with God. But if the root of the problem is wrong relationship with God, then the greatest thing that God could could possibly do is to reconcile us to himself on the deepest level, on the level of the soul and of the spirit. And so Jesus went about all of his stuff that we don't totally get. That that was his mission. And, And some men bring to Jesus a a paralyzed man on a mat. And he says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. As in everything that has held you back from God and made you spiritually sick since the day that you were born is now being lifted and relieved. You are forgiven. There is nothing left standing in between you and the Father. That, that sickness that you've carried in your soul, it is being cured right here and right now. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are stunned because they, they know what that means. They, they know what the implications are. And they know that only God can forgive you of your sin. Even if you forgive someone else who's harmed you, all you're really doing is releasing them to God so that he can affect true forgiveness in, in, in your heart and theirs. The Pharisees knew that to stand up and announce that someone was forgiven of their sins by God was to say, I am God. And now they're really flustered and then Jesus poses a question to drive home the point. He said, he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And the Pharisees are all raising their hand from the back. I know, I know, I know. Get up and walk. They, because they had seen prophets heal before. They knew that people could be healed but through prayer. That wasn't a totally new and novel concept to them. But that someone's sin could be forgiven, that they could be cured of their spiritual sickness, maybe partially in the temple on the right day with the right sacrifice, you could get halfway there. And now Jesus is standing in front, on someone's front lawn announcing that this person is forgiven. And then, of course, there's our culture on the other side saying, well, No, duh, it's way easier to say his sins are forgiven. Because for us, in in our materialistic culture, we say, oh, well, medical miracles, well, that's not possible. Okay, so he's not going to get up and walk 
That's, that's really hard to say. Um, but sin, I mean, sin is just the breaking of like God's arbitrary rules. Sin doesn't have a real effect on you. We're all good people. We're all going to heaven. Sin's not a big deal. It doesn't really affect you. It doesn't really affect others. For, for Jesus to say that his sin is forgiven, that's, that's just sentiment. That's just him sharing an encouraging thought. Of, of course that's easier. Just tell him he's forgiven. And Jesus is saying, actually the sin and, and the inner healing are more important than the physical healing. But now, there's going to be a physical healing in conjunction with the inner healing that will show you that when I say He's forgiven, it means He is truly and completely and fully forgiven. I have that authority. And so by starting with forgiveness, Jesus isn't just making an unrelated sales pitch for something that He deems good oh, I see you've come in for healing today. Can I interest you in maybe something over here? Maybe a little forgiveness? Maybe like, no. That's not what he's doing. He isn't trying to sell this guy on something that's unrelated and irrelevant. But by starting with forgiveness, I believe Jesus is actually making multiple points at the same time. Here are just a few of them. First, Jesus is making a statement about his divinity. These are the type of statements that led to his death because they knew exactly what he was saying when he told someone they were forgiven. Jesus is pointing out the importance of inner healing even with someone who's suffering terribly physically. Say, no, that's still important. In fact, it might be more important than his physical healing. And I'm going to argue that he's demonstrating a connection between the two. And I'll say a quick word about each. Um, First, in in context, Jesus is making a direct claim about his divinity. This is what so frustrates the the teachers of the law because their power system, their religious system, if that's true, is being completely undermined. And it's one of the reasons he's killed. Second, by confronting someone who who is so hurting physically and presenting them with, with both the need and the opportunity for for complete spiritual healing, if you will. I believe that Jesus is actually highlighting just how important this is and saying, hey, I'm going to show you what he actually needs the most. And it's not to get up and walk. When Jesus physically healed that man, in a moment, he was healing him physically and psychologically and emotionally and socially and financially. In a moment, all of those aspects that he struggled with, maybe for years, maybe his whole life, are cured. And yet in the same breath, Jesus says, there's a greater healing that has occurred here than what you've just seen. It's actually what I've done for his spirit. It's actually what I'm doing to heal his soul. In context, the physical healing actually sort of takes, takes a back seat. In fact, the biblical authors will sometimes refer to physical healing as a, a sign. And we still use this language today. You may have heard, it's kind of churchy language where we talk about signs and wonders, which is only really go together, right? Like you can't use wonder by, by itself, I don't think. Like, I, I saw a wonder. Like, <laughs> God did a wonder. Like, I, I don't know how to use that. But sign... Sign is is right from the scriptures. And I I think it's actually deeply symbolic and fitting to explain just what it is that Jesus is doing and and why he's doing it. It's just a sign. Why? Because all physical healing is temporary. All of it. it. Is it worth praying for? Absolutely. Did Jesus pray for it? Yes. Should we pray for it? Yes. If we pray for it, will we see people physically healed? Not always, but yes, generally speaking, we will see people physically healed. Will anyone be miraculously healed if we never pray for it? No. If we don't pray for physical healing, we we will not see 
God-given physical healing. We just won't. But sometimes we have to ask the reverse question, which is, what, what do we do when God does heal? Okay, God physically healed you of the thing that you're wrestling with. What now? Okay, you continue with the business of, of, of following Jesus, partnering with him to, to see his kingdom come, and eventually you get old and you get sick and you die. How's that for a Sunday morning pep talk? <laughs> Never been very good at those. But the point is that all physical healing is temporary. And, and so days or weeks or months later, the sickness will return or the next thing will come down the road and, and eventually you die. Life is short. It, it really is. Even the people that Jesus brought back from the dead got a few more years at best and then they died again. And, and so in the midst of all that, we have to ask, what, what's the point why would God ever physically heal anyone in any scenario ever? And the answer is that it's a sign. And what do signs do? They point toward a greater reality. They point upward toward God, toward his power, toward his presence, toward his grace, toward his mercy, toward his compassion. They point forward to that future place that you have not believed in vain, that the new heavens and the new earth are coming. They're signposts pointing beyond themselves, which is why if, you're, if a church gets overly fixated on the signs, they're in trouble because they're not looking to where they're pointing to. It is a temporary encouragement that points you forward to a, a deeper, truer reality. That is the purpose of a sign. And so in this case, the healing is a sign of Jesus' divinity. And it's a sign of God's power and presence and compassion and mercy. And it's a sign to the crowd that something deep and real and true has just happened in the spiritual realm and they need to be aware of it. Guys, a greater healing has happened here. He has just been forgiven of his sin and set in right relationship. His spiritual sickness has just been cured. That, that doesn't happen in, in, in any other way. And it's going to have profound implications regarding the spiritual sickness that has plagued every human since the day they were born. And it's going to have profound implications for salvation and, and what it means to be given eternal life and what it means to be a new humanity in the here and now that is destined for the new heavens and the new earth. All of those implications are loaded in, into this simple statement that, that Jesus is making. Jesus says, just restore this man in every way and he said, this is the most important. I could have left him paralyzed and he would be a blessed human being. And because we are interconnected people, as we are healed of our spiritual sickness, at the core of who we are, we should expect bits and pieces of healing to spill into every aspect of who we are. In fact, one of the reasons that inner healing or, or spiritual healing is so important isn't just in view of eternity. It, it's actually because spiritual healing be, becomes the linchpin around which all other healing emanates. As our relationship with God is renewed and restored, it, it can actually give rise to the healing of, of our psyches and, and our emotions and even our physical bodies. And this is difficult for us to grasp in the Western world because we, we are preconditioned to think that sin doesn't really have an effect on us. And if it does have an effect, it must be a very compartmentalized effect. And Jesus says, no, you are one whole and holistic person. And whatever happens to part of you affects all of you. John Wimber um, author of uh, the book Power Healing, which I highly recommend, um, he relates a story in which he was praying for a 40-year-old woman who had chronic stomach issues and arthritis and it was getting really bad. And so um, he went to um, pray for her and like we do here, he just spent time listening. Hey, let's go ahead and just take a few minutes and just listen. Let's just see if God wants to speak anything right now. And in that moment, 
he, he felt this intense sense that the woman he was praying for was struggling with bitterness, like deep-seated bitterness. And he kind of meditated on that for a second and thought, oh, this is weird, but I think it's about her sister. So he shared with her, hey, um, before we play for physical healing, I have to ask, like, um, is everything okay between you and your sister? Is there any bitterness there? She said, oh, no, 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 no. And he kind of pressed her a little bit. She said, okay, actually, 16 years ago, my sister stole the man that I was going to marry and cheated on him and left him. And for 16 years, I have not talked to her. And I will not talk to her. I will not forgive her for what she did. I can't. So John turns to her and says, hey, to tell you this, but if you don't forgive her, you're not going to get better. And so the woman left and she went home and she wrote a letter to her sister, a letter of forgiveness and reconciliation. And she never sent it. And her condition got worse in the coming months to the point the doctors thought she was going to die. And as she was uh, more or less on her deathbed, she remembered, ah, that prayer time, the letter, okay. And she summoned the last strength that she had and she drove to the post office. And the moment that she dropped the letter into the slot, she felt a weight lift off her shoulders. She started feeling better. And by the time she got home, she was completely 100% medically cured of her condition by dropping a letter in the mailbox. Did she believe that would have the effect that it did? No. It, it, is, is our model for Western medicine equipped to deal with how holistic human beings are? No, it's not. It's great as it is. But Jesus is. He, he sees it. He, he, he gets it. In fact, as he looks at the paralytic man, I think that, that he actually discerns in that moment that there is a deep and profound connection. Not in every case. This is not true in most cases. But in this case, he says, I actually sense there's a deep and profound connection between the sin and guilt and shame that is crushing his soul into paralysis and the physical paralysis which he is experiencing. So by saying, son, take heart, your sins are forgiven. He, he is not addressing something that is irrelevant to his healing. In fact, it might be the very source of his healing. Our spiritual sickness has a profound effect on who we are. And therefore, reconciliation can become the gateway to healing. I was praying for a woman a, a few years back. And she was in her mid-60s and she was having back problems. And I was kind of used to praying for healing a little bit and um, was doing that, same deal, was listening, kind of praying, and it just had this overwhelming sense of the word forgiveness just kept coming to mind. There needs to be forgiveness. And that's not what I wanted to hear. I just wanted to pray for her back and, and just move on with it. I was like, this is awkward. I don't even know how to bring that up. But as we're praying through, I felt like I can't even focus on praying. Like, I have to share this. And, and so I said, hey, as, as we've been listening, I, I just feel like we're supposed to leave some time and space here um, for forgiveness. And so as we just create a few minutes for forgiveness to happen, whatever that means, um, if anyone comes to mind, I just encourage you to just forgive them. And, and we just want to leave time and space for that before we pray for physical healing. And the woman says, oh, okay, okay. And so she, you know, closes her eyes and she starts praying and um, completely silently inside her head, she's just praying and, and wrestling to forgive someone. And you can just tell there's like tension in the room and she's kind of tensing up and fighting through it and she just keeps pushing and just in her heart and her mind, forgiving, forgiving, releasing, releasing. And all of a sudden she just breaks down crying and, and she's just weeping. And, and there's this beautiful time of prayer where she's accepting more and more of God's forgiveness and releasing more and more whoever it was in her mind that she's struggling to forgive. And she walked out of that prayer room on top of the world. She was just absolutely brimming with joy. And I can't even remember if she was physically healed. I was thinking about that. I was like, why can't I even remember if she was healed? And then I realized that that's the point. That the inner healing, she, that God did the greater thing. That that inner healing was actually more important to God and more important to her than physical healing. And for all I know, physical healing came out of that. 
But I know that that was a beautiful moment in her life. And I ran into them years, this is why I remember, I ran into them years later and they said, oh my gosh, you're the person who like prayed over so-and-so's back. Well, she's, she's 70 now or whatever. I'm guessing her back hurts again. But that's not the point. The point was that they still remembered this beautiful thing that God had done in her life. And God says, that's the greater thing, is me healing you from the inside out. And, and so, as we think about healing, and, and as we think about praying for physical healing, we, we have to remember that God will sometimes use physical ailments just to bring us into that place where he can actually heal us inwardly, heal our spirits. And um, even last week, we talked about physical healing. Um, we prayed for people for physical healing. We'd love to pray again today for people who need physical healing. We think that's really fitting and appropriate for the church to do. But something that was really interesting in all of the different little prayer circles that I was in praying for physical healing, the Holy Spirit, God guided the majority of our prayer time pray, praying into issues of God's love and, and the truth he wanted to speak over them prophetically and restoring issues of identity and rooting out lies of the enemy and, and doing this, this holistic inner healing and then it was like physical healing in some of them was like almost an afterthought. We almost forgot to pray for it because, we whoa, that's actually what, what God wanted to do. Is, is it wrong to pray for physical healing? Not at all. It, Jesus did. It, we do. We, we, we can again this week. We'd love to. As God's kingdom advances, should we expect to see people healed along the way? Absolutely. That, that's part of what we see in, in the Gospels. But recognize that as we press in to, to physical healing, God will often see fit to do the greater work. Being reconciled to him and, and being completely set free at the deepest level of who you are is something that all of us need and that all of us can pursue. Here's one way to get at that. Um, this is, is a simple four-step process. We'll end with this. A simple four-step process toward uh, inner healing or healing of the Spirit. And as we wade into this arena, there's all sorts of other conversations that we don't have time for. But this is something central to the conversation that all of us need, need to make time for. So four steps toward inner healing or the healing of, of the Spirit, the effect of sin on the Spirit and on the soul. Here's what we do. First, if you're taking notes, is the process of confronting sin. In America, in our culture of materialism, we tend to neglect, ignore, downplay, marginalize the effects of sin on our souls. Most Americans aren't even like fully conscious that they have a soul. That just like doesn't even make sense, not part of their daily thinking. We're not even aware of the, the, the effects that sin has on our soul, let alone on our emotions and our psyches and our bodies and all these other aspects of, of who we are. Uh, and, and for how central our spiritual state is to daily existence, it, it is shockingly ignored and, and marginalized in our daily conversation. Uh, and, and by allowing ourselves <clears throat> to be confronted with the full weight of sin and, and kind of calling it out for what it is, uh, we aren't just sitting in, in self-loathing and in pity and, and in condemnation. Not at all. It, we just start by being realistic about the devastating effects that sin has on us. And in that, hopefully gaining a deeper appreciation for what it is Jesus was doing on the cross. We're, we're just saying, hey, I, I realize that, that sin is not just the breaking of some arbitrary, outdated command that God gave to his people, that, this, this, that, that sin is somehow written into the, the fabric of the universe. It's like a, a natural law that when I do that, it's going to affect me the way that gravity affects. If you jump off your roof, you're probably going to break an ankle. It's just the way it works. And, and, and I think sin is more like that than we'd like to believe. And, and so as we confront our own sin, rather than shy away from calling that out, kind of in cowardice for what it might mean, uh, or rather than making vain attempts to justify ourselves in it over and over again, this isn't wrong, this isn't wrong, this isn't wrong. No, we, we just confront it and we call it out for what it is. We say, this is sin, 
I know this is sin. It's amazing how, how often we just know. And this harms me. If we don't start with that, like we're, we're never going to come to Jesus for healing if we can't admit that we're actually hurting. If we can't admit that we're actually damaged in, in that way. Scriptures say it this way, uh, if any of you claims, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and, and the truth is not in us. If we can't admit as human beings that we have a tendency to, toward a spiritual and physical decay, then we'll never come to the physician to actually let him do what he wants to do. Second, if you're taking notes, um, after confronting our sin, we confess our sin. And we, we call it out, we label it, we identify it, we speak it out loud to God and to others. Uh, too often, the effects of spiritual sin, uh, not spiritual sin, spiritual sickness, uh, take root in our lives through, through willful and unconfessed sin, um, through our, our bondage to certain sins that we just feel stuck in, and from the neglecting of our relationship with God and his people. And, and the impact of all of this often includes great harm to your emotions and desires uh, and even to your psychological and physical health. But the scriptures say um, that, that we're to confess. It says if you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. That's what Jesus just did for the paralytic. So, you, so that you may be healed. And so um, as we approach that topic, I realize that that's probably the most difficult spot for us is actually coming before God and others and actually speaking it out loud. Because most of us, if we're honest, we're just afraid of judgment. What will they think of me? What will happen? I can't, I, I can't possibly say that out loud. But the interesting thing is that whoever you're speaking to is in the exact same position as you. We just read that in the scriptures. And so as they become, as they help set the stage for your holistic healing, you know that it's only days or weeks or months until you will need to set the stage for their holistic healing. Does that make sense? So in grace and in love and in compassion, we do for others what we so need them to do with and for us. This is where freedom is found. Third, if you're taking notes, um, after confessing and repenting, uh, we, we, or sorry, after confessing, we repent, which is to, to return to God, to turn away uh, from our sin and toward God. We change course. The scriptures say, uh, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's, seeds, God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. As in, I'm going to intentionally go back again and again and just choose this over God every time. You can't do it because they've been born of God. So you're in that tension, right? You are a human being. You're imperfect in your following of Jesus, though hopefully getting better over time. You have sin. To say I've arrived is, is just false. But now we have to figure out what to do with all of that imperfection and that spiritual sickness that creeps back in time and time again. And, and so we, we realize that imperfection is, is unavoidable, but choice matters. Are you choosing to continually go back to the source of your sin? Whether it's the broken relationship or the website or just where you go in your mind and fostering bitterness towards so-and-so. Stop going back to the source of your sin. Let, let your actions and your thoughts actually reflect what your heart wants to do in leaving that behind. We make lifestyle choices. And finally, uh, and most importantly, is that you accept God's forgiveness and I'm going to add as clearly as I can that you accept what God has to say about you. Because what he has to say about you is way better than what you have to say about yourself. And it's way better than what you think God has to say about you. And, and so this is the most crucial step. We want, to, we want to be healthy and actually rooting out all of that stuff and saying, this is real, this harms me, I want to change, I want to be cured, I want to get better. But, but if you stop at step three, you're just going to walk around hanging your head all the time. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a sinner. I'm so, that's not what God says about you. It's so common in the church for us to act like our core identity to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. That was true for like the first five minutes of your walk. 
you, you are a son and a daughter of the living God, cured of your spiritual sickness. That's who you are. That's what you go back to. It, it is the identity that Jesus has given. You know why most of us get stuck in destructive patterns of sin and bitterness and enslavement? It's because we don't know who we are in Christ. And if you allow him to speak the defining word of love and acceptance and grace and new identity over you, then you can finally be free. If you've given your life to Jesus or want to do that today, your fundamental nature has changed to to the degree that the scriptures say you are a new creation. You are a different type of being. And some of us just need to be reminded this morning that your relationship with God is based on grace. Because you go through those first three things and you think, it's too late. God can't use me. I'm too flawed. We just like go racing off with, with all of these ridiculous thoughts. But your relationship with God was never based on your performance. And now you believe that your imperfect performance is going to end your relationship with God. How ridiculous is that? That's not why God loved you in the first place. That's not why God adopted you into his family in the first place. You are fully and freely reconciled to God through his unearned, unmerited grace that arises out of his character. All you have to do is put your faith in that and and you receive that for yourself. That's the mystery and beauty of the gospel. So step four is the most crucial and, and the most important. Your moral record was never the basis of his love, and it never will be. I think he's approaching some of you this morning in grace and saying, take heart, my son, take heart, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Not halfway, totally and utterly and completely forgiven. You now come before the throne of God. And that's where inner healing is found. He's delighted to welcome you back in. He's delighted to heal what so easily becomes broken. So we're just going to make uh, some room here. Uh, a couple minutes and the band can, can come back up uh, as we end the teaching. Um, just, to, just to practice this as a community and receive God's forgiveness and, and receive inner healing. Um, and, and for some of you, that might be for the very first time, saying, actually, I've, I've never come to Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never been forgiven by God. And if that's true, we'd love to pray with you and, and kind of walk with you through that um, process of, of God's free gift of eternal life and salvation and reconciliation. But for most of us in the room, you're already followers of Jesus. And so uh, taking some time this morning, we'll just be um, walking through those, those steps and we can leave them up here over the next few minutes. And just taking a few minutes to take the junk that we naturally accumulate and even some of the wounds that, that some of you have carried for years and saying, God, I recognize that, that this may be the most important type of healing that you offer. And so I'm going to come to you in in faith knowing that you can heal this, knowing that you can take this, knowing that you can redeem this, knowing that you can cure me of this spiritual weight and sickness in the name of reconciliation and healing and freedom. And we've got all sorts of things that we want to bring as a community uh, to God this morning, myself included, some of us are feeling helpless and, and crushed under that spiritual weight. You're spiritually paralyzed. And, and I, I, I need you to remember that Jesus is the one who comes to you in, in, in your helpless, hurting, spiritual paralysis. He says, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. I have everything in me and have won everything for you that's necessary for spiritual healing. Come and receive. Let's pray. God, from the moment that 
I woke up this morning and um, prepared to give this teaching. Uh, I have been keenly aware of my own spiritual brokenness. That um, I luckily can, can actually look at my physical body and say, whoa, I'm, this is a good season for me. I, my physical body is doing well. And, and yet somehow there's so much of me that, that isn't, <laughs> that, want, that needs more, that wants more, that needs to come to, to the healer so that I can be healed in, in the way that you said was the most fundamental, was the most important, was the most central to who we are, was letting your, your grace and your love and your saving, reconciling work to work its way down in, into the deepest places of who we are. So God, for those of us who are sitting in bondage this morning, spiritually speaking, we just pray for freedom. Simple as that. God, come and set the captive free. There is no reason we need to be captives when we walk out of this door. And God, for those of us who maybe have been um, sitting in cycles of, of spiritual sickness, who have let that infection kind of take root and, and spread, God, would this morning be a time of healing? Would you renew our hearts? Would you renew our minds as we bring our spiritual sickness before you and others? Jesus, you were the one who walked the streets and when everyone else pointed to someone and said, unclean, unclean, go away, you said, come to me. And you touched what was unclean and you made it clean. Would you be that for us this morning, Jesus? Help us to grow in, in your likeness. Help, to be, help us to be free at the deepest level in our souls and our spirits. And we believe that as you do that, it's going to affect every aspect of who we are. So come, Lord Jesus, come. We're here. We're eager to meet with you. Would you come and heal us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.